Hello, my friends. Brett Patterson coming at you from the financial capital of the West, Salt Lake City, Utah, where my good friends, Brian Hunsaker. Brett, how are you doing? Oh, living the dream. And Spencer Nelson. What's up, buddy? Oh, good things. Good things. In fact, today, guess what we're going to talk about? What are we going to talk about? <laughs> I hope you actually was, know. No, that was the silence. <laughs> Excess. Yeah. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about excess. Brian Hunsaker, you said, I'm not going to call you by your full name this whole podcast, by the way. Please. Brian said in a podcast a couple weeks ago that the bubble will burst when there's excesses in the market. And I've had a few clients reach out to, to me in the, in, the, in the past week or two, probably to you guys too, wondering, when's this bull market going to stop? And my answer to them is I have no idea, and nobody does. Mm -hmm. And the second conversation piece that, that we have is about excesses. So I want to talk about excesses today and what that even is. But in order to understand excesses, we've got to get in the Iron Gate DeLorean. We've got to get the 1.21 gigawatts working for us. I was wondering why you were wearing the Doc wig with the white hair. If everyone could see you, he's got the white frizzy hair coming out. I love that show. We're in the DeLorean. We're going back in time. We're going back to 1995, my friends. 1995, which was kind of the beginning. And Brian, you were in the midst of your career, the very beginnings of your career in this financial world in 1995, which is kind of the beginning of the tech, mm -hmm. the tech boom. And here's the returns. If you would have just bought an index, and we're going to talk a lot about indexing today, but if you would have bought an index in January of 95 and sold in December of 2000, which when the world are you going to sell at the top, right? You're not. But if you would have, you would have made 187.9%, which is pretty good. Pretty good. That's dang good. Dang good. So, Brian, tell us. As we look at the tech boom, tell us what was happening around that time, if you would. There was a lot of excitement in the uh, about technology and technology technology stocks, uh, often called dot com. That was the age of the internet and and, uh, and internet stocks, and a lot of people were extremely excited about the future and what the internet would bring to the world that we now live in. A lot of that's come true, but. In the late 90s, I think a lot of excitement was a little bit premature, a lot premature. There's a lot of companies coming out with, you know, new products. Pet dot, Pets.com was, you know, the famous one that blew up. With the up. hand puppet. Yeah, exactly. Pets.com. <laughs> I remember that. And uh, people just got a little bit ahead of, the sell, ahead of themselves. The asset prices of these uh, dot-com stocks just uh, blew up. And I just remember thinking, this doesn't make any sense. How do you, how can you justify paying uh, the kind of prices people are paying for these businesses? And I, it's, and that's a loose term when you call these, these a lot of these dot com stocks businesses. They didn't have any revenue. They just had an idea, and they come out with an IPO. It was, it was crazy, and it was obvious to me that the excitement and the euphoria that was, that was a bubble. So. And I'm glad you mentioned that word euphoria. Sir John Templeton, one of my favorite investors, said this. He said, markets are born on pessimism, grow on skepticism, mature on optimism, and die on euphoria. 
So euphoria, is that another name for excesses? Yeah. Is euphoria. I, I, I think yeah. it, it coincides with it, yeah. Irrational excitement. Which Greenspan called it in 95, irrational exuberance. Yes, yes, exactly. 100%. So you had this time to where any internet company, dot-com company was coming out, and people were buying it because of the excitement, the euphoria. Um, would you say that FOMO, the fear of missing out, was involved? Yeah, I would say that. I Also, I saw a lot of people talking about quitting their jobs and trading stocks for a living full-time. And that was a good, big sign for me that this is crazy. Um, I had a Hill Air Force Base mechanic, an, air, air, an airplane mechanic, def, uh, worked on F-16s, tell me he was going to quit his job in the next couple of weeks and start trading stocks full time. That's funny. It's interesting. I remember in 2007, uh, same type of thing where a guy who wasn't in that real estate profession whatsoever started became a developer. And I remember thinking... Everyone and their dogs getting in here. It might be time to get out. I mean, yeah. I, I, not that I called it or anything like that, but that same type of irrational behavior, fear of missing out, and the thought everyone's making money, I'm just going to go in with them. So it's that euphoria, that FOMO, fear of missing out, watching your neighbor get rich or day trade from home in their underwear and wondering, why can't I do that, right? And mm-hmm. it's so easy and everybody's doing it. That's excesses. Yeah, definitely. That's what, have we seen that in today's market? Not to the extent that we saw it in the late 90s, not to the extent we saw in the, <clears throat> during the, the real estate, the Great Recession, not to that extent. We, we've seen, I mean, the markets are very strong, but I don't see the excesses in the stock market. I mean, there are pockets of excess. excess. I would say if you're looking for a bubble, and this is maybe not the subject we want to talk about, but... You know, bonds look like, a lot of bonds look like they're overpriced and, to me, in bubble territory. When, when you talk about a 10-year treasury at 1.7%, I mean, a, two, a 2% is like buying, a 2% 10-year treasury is like buying a, a 50 PE multiple stock. I mean, to me, that doesn't make any sense. With no growth. With no growth. Yeah, and I, I think also there have been individual names where you see the excess. And you've seen that over the last you know, two or three years in some of the IPOs that have come out. And all of a sudden, they boom. I mean, like we watched Beyond Meat go mm-hmm. crazy. And now things, you know, they've come back to earth. Now, I have no idea whether, where they're going to be in the future. But at that IPO and, uh, the you know, the Super Burger or whatever it's called... You saw some of that. And you've seen that happen in individual names. But I don't think you can say you've seen that across a sector or across the market in general right now. Maybe in bonds, like Brian talked about, in terms of equities, I think it's been an individual situation and not broad-based. Okay. WeWork is another example, right? Yeah. yeah. WeWork, is a great, WeWork is a great example of excess and irrational exuberance, for sure. I would say that the equity markets in general are rational. I mean, the pricing is rational. There are pockets of excess. But, you know, I, you, I think a lot of stocks might have, may have a high P.E. multiple, but these are incredible companies with incredible uh, competitive advantages, long-term competitive advantages that are growing at a high rate. They're making money. They're making money. Yeah. And uh, so they're, they're, you could argue that those are rational prices. They may not be cheap, but they are rational. Yeah. So if we look back at the 90s, and I hear that I just attended, in fact, a TD Ameritrade conference. 
And 90% of the advisors there, look, they're nice guys, nice gals, but 90% of them just index. They just buy an index and sit on their hands. In the late 90s, if you would have purchased an index and index invested, because most of them are market cap weighted, you would have had a 35% allocation in the S&P 500 to tech stocks. Would that scare you back then to have a 35% allocation to tech stocks in the 90s? I would, I would answer that and say that I was not buying the index back then. I was buying boring, So tell cheap, me about that. Cheap stocks. Because obviously, if you didn't buy any tech stocks, which you, you didn't, then the tech sector scared you. So 35% allocation in an index to tech stocks, which is the most it's ever been, Right now, we're at 20.9%, so almost 21% allocation of the S&P to tech stocks. But back then, you, you didn't do that. Right. Why? You got to remember that the, the index, the S&P 500 index, is a market-weighted index. And, uh, and so, you know, people talk about diversification in the Dow or the S&P 500. And yes, you do, you do get that. But uh, I, I felt like at that time that I was better off Picking my spots, and I still feel like that today, but picking uh, specific securities that looked attractive, long-term competitive advantages, good, good value, good price, uh, buying the index was not attractive to me. To me, that was just didn't make a lot of sense. You were paying a really high price for that top sector, that top 35% that made no, in, the, in the index that made no sense to me. Is th- would this be an accurate statement, Brian or Brett? When excesses do appear in the market, those excesses will be reflected in the S and P five hundred because it is market weighted. That that they now it won't be to the degree if you went all in on just the tech sector for in in ninety nine. But if there is an excess in the market, the S and P because it is market weighted will absorb some of that excess and and be vulnerable to it. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Right? So as Brian's not investing in the tech sector, did you lose clients because of that or have people say, no, I don't want to be in these boring blue chip dividend focused companies or anything like that. I want pets.com. <laughs> Anyone like that? Yes. I, I had a fair amount of that. I had a fair amount of clients. And you that, didn't give in. I didn't give in. <laughs> Uh, I would say that I probably lost a few clients because because they wanted to buy tech stocks. I remember specifically uh, meeting with one client. This is like in 90, late 90s. And his comment was, we can't lose money. You just just buy these. You can't lose money. <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> you can. You can lose money. Euphoria. But at, but at that level. point, it was just going up. And everybody thought, well, just forever go up. Also, it was this time. It's different. That was the other the other thing I would hear. It's it's different now. You can just buy these text.com stocks and just hold them forever, and you're going to do great. And we know that that did not work out. That did not end well uh, buying a lot of those stocks because they weren't real businesses. They were just an idea, a flash in the pan. Many of them just completely blew up or, or no longer in existence. So another one. That reminds me, another one of my favorite Templeton quotes, and I don't mean to be a Templeton quoter today, but he said the four most dangerous words in investing are, this time is different. Mm -hmm. So when you started 
Iron Gate Global in October of 99, in the midst of a tech boom, you didn't invest in tech stocks. And I bring up these returns not to say that we're, you know, past performance is not indicative of future returns. But in, nine, or in 2000, the S&P was down 9%. You were up 27%. In 2001, the s and is down 11.89%. You're up 12.75%. Why? Because you ignored the euphoria and the this time is different. And valuations that were just stupid. I didn't know when it was going to turn. I just, I'll, what I knew is that buying the index and buying a lot of the stocks out there just made no sense to me. And so I just, we just stuck to our knitting. I mean, we just just did what we, we do what we do. And we bought by great companies at reasonable prices. And, and it, I thought over time it would work out. Um, and it did. Yeah. But I didn't know that when I left and started Irongate in October, October 1st, 1999, that just a few months later that, that it would pop. And yeah. it, was, it was March of 2000 that it, that was when it started going. Popped. Yep. In 2002, as well, you had some of the biggest fraud in financial history. You had Enron. You had WorldCom. You had Adelphia. You had Global Crossing. The index owned a lot of those, if not all those companies, also punished because of that. Did you own any of those companies back then? No. No. Okay, the, so the, the reason why is because I couldn't understand them. I remember looking at Enron, and I remember every quarter Enron would beat it. You know, they would beat every quarter, and their stock would go up, and their stock would go up, and WorldCom was a hot stock. They, did, they just, I was like, okay, something's weird here. <laughs> it just didn't make sense. They always went up. They always beat estimates, and it just seemed like, it seemed manufactured. And I didn't know, but that's what... Spencer, I'm hearing Brian in this podcast say I didn't know a lot, right? I didn't know when the tech bubble would burst. I didn't know that Enron, WorldCom, Global Crossing, Adelphia were frauds. I didn't know that, but I just knew that I didn't understand what they were doing. Okay, so <laughs> that and that goes to his process. That goes to so tell his me about investment how, what, process. What are we doing right now that if the market collapses or there's a you know, some sort of euphoria. How is it different now the way we're managing money compared to the way Brian was managing money back then? We're, nothing's different, I would say, and that's the key to it, is nothing's different from the standpoint of businesses and industries we understand. If we don't understand it, we're not going to invest in it. Long-term competitive durable advantages. Pets.com, <laughs> not sure what their durable advantage is, because you can create a website that says mypets.com and do the exact same thing. So those two things, management that you trust and then buying at the right price. And I think in terms of excesses, it's funny because we. It, this is something that Brian has pointed out often and it's something I've become more aware of. We're constantly looking for those excesses and we're evaluating our own holdings. To, as companies, you know, value, prices go up, valuations... Are they justified? Is it getting excessive? Do we need to draw back a little bit? And that's how we're managing money. And look, we're never going to time the market perfectly. We're always, I think everyone is going to go a little bit with where the index itself is going. You get weighed because we own companies that are within that. But if we can avoid the big excesses, the pockets, the bubbles, then 
if every if, if the tide goes out and everyone well at least what's we'll have our pants on we'll have our swimsuits <laughs> on right. you know and we're not going to get taken out completely because we're overexposed and so I think that's really important from an active management perspective. I, w- I was sitting with someone today, actually, and they asked that question. I was explaining how we manage money. And, uh, and he said, well, what are you going to do when a recession comes? And I said, well, we can't time it perfectly. But if we buy the best companies that have the long-term competitive advantages, they may take a hit. But they're going to recover and outperform through the recession and after the recession. And so I don't think anything changes. Dot-com bubble, re- you know, real estate in 08, 07, 08. You talked about you just avoided real estate and financials. Just being able to recognize where the excesses are and then position portfolios accordingly, I think there's a huge value to what that, what that does for someone's overall wealth. So by focusing on those four criteria, Brian, do you think there's less risk in the stocks that we own or in the index as a whole? Because back in, in 2000, the reason I asked that is back in 2000, there is... A whole lot more risk in the index than there was in the blue chip companies you owned, even if they weren't sexy, right? Right. So why do we operate and build portfolios based on 12 to 15 to whatever stocks that meet our criteria? Well, because it makes business sense. I mean, that's why we do it. We we think it makes sense that you concentrate your money in the, your best ideas as opposed to putting them into your 500 favorite investment out there. We, th- we think it makes more sense to have a portfolio of 10 to 15 different b- great businesses and focus on your best ideas than owning the whole market. And, uh, and being and, slave to the way the market trends and flows. Right. Yeah. All right, my friends. So when's the next bear market going to come? I wish we knew. <laughs> we have no idea. All right. But keep your eye on the on on excesses. And if your if your mechanic says that he's uh, going to become a developer or a day trader, let us know. That'll be a good heads up. Yep. Please let us know. So last thing, last two things. Number one, don't worry about paying attention to excesses if you don't want. We got you covered, right? It's what we do. Second thing is, if the wave goes out and you two are not wearing a swimsuit on the man. <laughs> All right, my friends, until next week, thanks for listening. This is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized financial advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's financial situation is unique, and the topics discussed on this broadcast should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized advice. Specific financial securities discussed are not intended to address any listener's particular financial situation and should not be considered recommendations. This is for educational purposes only. For more information, please contact Iron Gate Global Advisors at info at or by calling 888-591-0334.